Hello and welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for new and returning readers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I am Zoe, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a jaded fan. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a reluctant fan. I am Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a tired fan. I feel less tired today, but... Nice. Well, that's good. Maybe it's just the weather. (laughs) Yeah, the sun is out. This week we will dive into the good and the bad of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters 24 through 26. Rita Skeeter's Scoop, The Egg and the Eye, and The Second Task. And we've got some plots. Um, A plot is The Second Task. A prime is Hagrid and sort of some justice conversations. And there is no B plot. We're just jumped straight to C is mysteries, as per usual. Yeah, we, we debated off mic about what to call the A plot and the B plot because Hagrid and like Rita Skeeter stuff is very prominent in these chapters. Yeah. But it's not really A plot, but it's not a B plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So A, A prime and C. That's how the alphabet works. <laughs> I popped, and we will, of course, as per usual, put the chapter art that we discuss into the tweets about this episode, but I popped um, the chapter art for chapter 24, Rita's Skeeter's Scoop, into our little general channel for the two of you to see. Again, oh, is that Hagrid and his It's Hagrid and his dad. That's uh, so cute. Shout out again to Mary Grand Prix for just bringing these characters to life. This is a photo. It's a drawing of a photo that's clearly been folded in half at some point of an 11 year old Hagrid and his dad is sitting on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. It's so sweet. It's very Um, sweet. So we will include that in the tweet for this episode. It is. What's the, I'm curious, what's the art for the second task? (sighs) Is it a mermaid? No, it's gillyweed. What? (laughs) Oh, just the, the plant. Oh no, it's not a plant. If you read the description, it's like a ball of tubers and worms. Ugh. Oh, I didn't think I didn't notice the worms. Yeah, I thought it was just a weird, like seaweedy plant. Yeah, I, I hadn't read closely enough. Oh, I dear. was just imagining a, a clump of beach seaweed. Nope. Ah. Nope. Wow. It's um mm-hmm. the drawing as we we may not post this one. It really just looks like a big ball of earthworms. We don't need to go into more than that. I would like to have a word with the with mary grand prix no with the designer who commissioned her to draw that for this chapter (laughs) um so to be fair the text does say uh, a ball of what looks like slimy grayish green rat tails yeah i still imagined it to be a plant that just looked like weird because there are a lot of plants that look weird yeah shall we go back to chapter 24 and talk about hagrid and rita skeeter um we haven't done this in a little while, but I guess, E, do you have any, like, big thoughts about, I guess, learning about Hagrid like this? My biggest thought is, I wish she hadn't done this. Because it makes everything worse. Because there are specific comparisons to the house elves and to werewolves. And the characters being sympathetic about giants because of Hagrid and how much they care about Hagrid. And it just reinforces this whole like, well, it's okay to do activism when it's for your friend specifically. Mm. But otherwise the prejudice is valid. Right. Because there's this whole thing about like giants being inherently evil and siding with the Death Eaters or whatever. I liked... All of the things that Hermione had to say in this chapter. Yeah, and again, it's Hermione being mostly, like, correct and being looked down upon by her friends and the narrative for it. Although in this case, I think Harry's on her side. Harry's on her side. Ron is not. Yeah. Like, Ron likes Hagrid, but is not going to be pro-giant. Hermione says... Honestly, all this hysteria about giants, they can't all be horrible. It's the same sort of prejudice that people have towards werewolves. It's just bigotry, isn't it? Which, that line is good, but that line makes me so frustrated. Yes. (laughs) Because, because J.K.R. doesn't believe that. Yeah. It's theory, it's pure theory for, for J.K.R. Yeah. But we, the readers, and readers growing up, believe it because we 
like Hermione and we like Hagrid and we see the perspective. Yeah. But it, it's just like, I can imagine being, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever and reading this and being like, yeah, this is a good worldview. This is, you know, compassion. This is acceptance, which is a good thing. And which, you know, is what a lot of fans took away from it. But then just knowing where the author went mm-hmm. and reading, you know, we see goblins in this chapter, too. Yeah. <laughs> and and just knowing everything else that she writes and having seen more of her personal biases come out, is like, oh, she doesn't believe this. No. Like, this is silly to her. Hermione's reaction to the goblin, or to Ron's comment about the goblins is very odd, where she's just like, oh, they don't need to be pr- protected. Don't Didn't you learn about goblin rebellions? Like, Yeah, they can do their own fights. Yeah, we don't need to help them because they are a bit stronger than house elves. Yeah, that one's... Therefore, we don't need to care. Yeah. And boy, howdy, what we learned down the line about goblins. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I do like that one line from Hermione, but I can't... No, I, I, that was my whole yeah. reaction to this chapter was like, because I feel like this is the first... Because up till this, the the conversation around justice has been less explicit i feel like it's been the stuff with the house elves which is just all messy and you can't like the thing i'm trying to say is this is the first chapter where i was like oh this is where we got it from like this is where this is where we start seeing the values that people learned from these books i'm reading this chapter and the way they talk about and support hagrid and the way that hagrid talks about how accepting dumbledore is that specific line it's clear how me and so many other fans grew up taking the values of compassion and acceptance and fighting for justice from these books and it'll be more clear in the next book but like this is where it starts i feel like and those things are there in the text like it 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 it's but it gets twisted it gets twisted and it gets and it's frustrating for people who grew up wanting to make the world better because of the characters in this book doing these things and or saying these things and then rec- or like realizing that JKR is a complete hypocrite. Yeah. And can't recognize the... her own bigotry. It's it's and doesn't want to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> like she's not just naive. Yeah. Which is, I think, the way the fandom, you know, the more critical parts of the fandom viewed her before. For a long time. For sure, yeah. Before she started being extremely online. Yeah. Like, oh, she didn't really know what she was doing, but she meant well. The beginning of my Harry Potter crisis was me being like, oh, she was young when she wrote the books. She didn't know better. Whatever. She should, She's probably better she at now. Might have been true in 1995. Yeah. But then but. she got powerful and rich and had all of the resources to learn better. And refused. Yeah. So I do want to point out the line specifically about the goblins. Uh, Ron is making fun of Hermione saying, you're going to stand up for goblins rights, blah, blah, blah. And she says, goblins don't need protection. Haven't you been listening to what Professor Binns has been telling us about goblin rebellions? They're quite capable of dealing with wizards. Uh, They're very clever. They're not like house elves who never stick up for themselves. Um, This is maybe something that I am very aware of because I myself am Jewish and I'm used to reading anti-Semitism in literature. No, I think this is pretty clear. The word clever here in conjunction with the description of goblins that we've already seen doubles down on the anti-Semitism. The idea of the clever Jew, just to keep an eye on the the word clever and its connection with the anti-Semitic description of goblins. This very specific stereotype of they don't need protection because they're smart and good with money. You know, not in the not in so many words, but that is a common anti-Semitic trope. That is not a thing I had considered, so that is important to point out. Thank you. The idea of clever fingers and counting money is also Yeah. Yeah, particularly the association with banking and like Yeah. I mean, it's just I don't know. I feel like I guess we'll we'll talk more about the themes 
Like, I, I don't want to stop thinking about the things that fans of these books learned from these books. Yeah. Um, about fighting oppression and... Yeah. Because there is some, like, genuine, like, good nuggets of, of that in here. Even if, as we have sort of learned by now, that it was kind of by accident on the author's part. I mean, I know that it's also me as a cis white fan is going to read those things differently than someone else might growing up. And like, it took me longer to realize the problems than someone else who actually, you know, is affected by them would notice them. I don't know if that was a proper sentence. You know, people who don't experience those particular oppressions, you know, we tend to be more forgiving of them, right? Like, you know, I am white and not Jewish. And so, like, I can, for example, see anti-Semitic stereotypes, whether I recognize them or not, I am more inclined because of the way I've been, you know, cultured in society, mm-hmm. more inclined to give that the benefit of the doubt. Whereas someone yeah. who's Jewish, who, like, yeah. has been seeing this shit their entire life is like, well, okay, now I'm out. And the thing with, like, the Harry Potter books and other fantasy books and uh, also dystopian books, it's this, this, this thing that white authors feel the need to do where they will put oppression in their stories, but not accurately to the real world. They will put it, they will just be like, well, look at all of these white people who are, are suppressed because they are have this different type of magic or they right. like, are half magical or they like are they create new things whatever. to like be they, oppressed yeah they create fictional oppression fantasy specifically like fantasy, really yes. does this all the time but i'm also thinking about like dystopian like ya books mm. where most of the characters are white <laughs> yeah yeah, a lot of dystopian oppression is based on socioeconomic status. Yeah. Yeah. And pure um, socioeconomic status. Or then you get into the, like the uglies and pretties books, which is based on looks, which is a whole different bag of worms and also is addressed within the novel, but yeah, and then Harry Potter is like muggleborns and werewolves and half giants and yeah. house elves and goblins. And not actual, like, she's she was obviously trying to create metaphors for racism and then with the werewolves for, like, bloodborne illness, mm-hmm. supposedly. Stigmas. Um, yeah. Which, when you read it on the surface, is like, yeah, that's, it, she un, she is writing that not too bad. Like, we can see that the, these those people are oppressed in this society and that's bad and we should help them. Right. But... Like, if you look at anything that she says and does in real life, you realize that she doesn't actually know what those words mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's the type of thing that's very easy to be comfortable with, you know, as a white person specifically, as a privileged person generally. Yeah. That's like, oh, this is, you know, making gestures at the, the correct way to be in society, which is to be kind and compassionate and yeah. engage in activism, sort of for your friends specifically yeah Mm -hmm. but it's not the type of thing that actually makes any change right right like we haven't gotten to the end of the series yet but so far nothing has fundamentally changed for any of these groups of people and i know it's not intentional but the the story all of this does continue to get worse and it does fester and be it's it's literally it's like uh, we've talked about this we talked about this before when we were talking about the death eaters and like why they were able they are able to come back into power mm-hmm. which is like why white supremacy is rearing its head again everywhere like that kind of thing um that does happen in these books and i don't know if it's intentional that like oh all of this is surface level not actually fixing anything and that's why things get worse mm-hmm. or if it's just we're getting towards the end of the series so things have to get worse yeah it's probably more of that <laughs> <laughs> but you can read it that way and you can it's like it's very clear that 
it is getting worse because it is not being dealt with. Right. Right. Even if that's not what was her intention was writing it that way, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. And I think that becomes more explicit in book six, really. Yeah. Book five is where you start seeing where fans got the uh, let's fight for justice, uh, like really getting the fire under us. <laughs> And where yeah, like Harry the, Potter Harry, Alliance. the Harry Potter yeah, line yeah. came from, which, by the way, is still a wonderful organization, and they do a lot of uh, good work, including trans advocacy. So they are not on JKR's side with that stuff. No, and they've been very explicit about it. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's as an outsider, like I can definitely see why so many people had such a strong like you know, these books are about justice. Right. Reaction coming out of this fandom. And despite the many problems inside the books and with the author outside of the books, like she does get a few things pretty much right. Mm -hmm. And that's like your, your personal line may vary on whether that is worth all of the other horrible things that have come to light since then but the things that are good still did impact people mm -hmm. for good uh oh i think i found the article that um i was like i remember my dad linking me an article a couple of years ago that was about like how harry potter inspired a generation of young activists yeah yeah there's been a bunch of those articles including one that did and i don't know how scientific the study was but at, at minimum, anecdotally, kids who read Harry Potter at a young age ended up being more socially justice-minded than kids mm -hmm. who didn't. was like a big thing that went around the fandom like almost 10 years ago. And a lot of people did some gross stuff with it being like, well, I'm better than you because I read Harry Potter yeah. at a young age. It's like, you yeah. fuck off. But yeah, that's not the point. <laughs> there is something to be said for the themes in these books independent of the author, having a huge effect on people. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the reasons, A, why fans like feel so betrayed, and also B, why it's so hard to let it go when it's so ingrained in like the foundation of our the way that we live our lives. <laughs> yeah. Foundation of the fandom, foundation of our reading history, foundation yeah. of our... The first book came out when I was like eight. I literally grew up with Harry Potter Foundation of who I am as a person in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway. Oh, good. Um, it's all great. And Rita Skeeter's also here. We've really just got all of the all of the bad stereotypes bits. in this chapter just mm -hmm. all picked off. Adela, do you want to talk about the description of Rita Skeeter and how you used to feel versus now? Oh, yeah. Um, in this chapter, um, Hermione and others are just bashing Rita Skeeter every time they talk about her and yeah. because she is such a hated character and she's written to be such a hated character when you first read that knowing nothing it's very satisfying and it like I used to take pleasure in that I used to think that the comments they made were funny or just like yeah that's yeah. what you get Rita Skeeter. Specifically a lot of like specifically sexist language yes mm -hmm. which is a, that what i what stood out to be this time because like looking at her through the lens of being a trans woman caricature all of those words hit so differently and it's like you, you cannot take you can, yeah you can't i can't take pleasure in that anymore i, I don't wouldn't want to like there's specific like at one point Hermione says like excuse for a human being to describe Rita Skeeter and another time Harry says Harry calls her a cow which then, is similar to bitch and then tries to has to repeat the sentence because he doesn't want Dumbledore to hear him being rude or whatever so but then he just says like woman but like hesitates it's like just really emphasized really like, emphasized hesitation with you would have put yeah or or like a sexist like word Ugh, it's just not it's not good it sucks because the character super sucks like yeah. there's nothing redeeming like personality wise yeah like this isn't a villain that you can be cool with <laughs> like yeah yeah 
Yeah, we can't empathize with Rita Skeeter, but you also can't. You can't look join past. in the making fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Professor Grubbly Plank? Professor Grubbly Plank. <laughs> what a I name! I would like to know what was in the author's brain <laughs> to name that character. <laughs> Oh, is it, is it okay? Okay, so this is set in well, it's set in Scotland, but it's set in the UK, right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of hyphenated names over there, which means that like two like relatively well known families married each other and then they had to keep both names. Is this implying that uh, two prominent wizarding families named Grubbly and Plank? <laughs> so neither of those names are on the list of purebloods, so they're not prominent in that way i guess it could be yeah prominent muggle families regular like english nobility or scottish nobility i guess <laughs> called grubbly i could see plank plank just doesn't hit me as nobility but grubbly i, I could see that <laughs> yeah that's probably a real name that someone has anyway this is a professor who understands how to plan a lesson yeah, yeah, a she's good. pretty good teacher by all accounts. Yeah. The only flaw is that she is not Hagrid. Also, a lot of people ship her with uh, McGonagall or Sprout or Madame Hooch. Yeah, <laughs> is she around Hooch. long enough to like... She'll be back. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and she's very good at lesson planning. Also, shout out to another specific instance where JKR, if she were a good and accepting writer in the way that she is not could have put in a trans character here. The unicorns only prefer the touch of a woman. And to read directly from my notes here, don't like the touch of men? Don't worry, fine lady, I am trans, I am woman, is what I have written in my notes here, but. This is a, one of the scenes, or when, when Hagrid is working with the unicorns, I know he's working with baby unicorns, but he also works with adult unicorns. And that is one of the things that the Gaelic Prophet br- brought up when they were talking mm-hmm. about Hagrid as a trans woman, mm. because Hagrid can, yeah. easily work with uh, adult unicorns so interesting which has been i think a fact about hagrid since book one yeah yes yeah very true it's clear that hagrid has a lot of knowledge about all sorts of magical creatures and could teach lessons about all sorts Anything. of magical creatures but he why just don't they just go monsters. teach this is a class that needs probably two teachers anyway yeah, truly also, Hagrid is no problem picking up the lesson from Grubbly Plank later on. She like, can just write lesson plans for him. And he follows it perfectly well. Like, he knows a ton about unicorns. He would be a much better, like, classroom aide than yeah. lead teacher. Yeah. Also, the fact that they, however much Rita Skeeter's reporting may be not factual, it sounds like Hagrid straight up told her that he mm-hmm. was illegally breeding. breeding. Yeah. The blast ended scroots out of what was it, Manticores and Fire Crabs, I believe. Yeah, that was the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Hagrid, not a great teacher. Not, should not be in charge of his own class, probably. Great teacher, but planner. All of the nonsense about that chapter aside, I really love, I've always loved the scene of them, the kids running down and pounding on Hagrid's door and. Yeah. Like yelling at him to listen to them and that they love him and they want him to teach. I just think it's, it just it's warms my good. heart. Yeah. Yeah. Zoe and I both have in our notes about Dumbledore, like being good and funny in this chapter and to a certain point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like at the beginning, when they arrive at Hagrid's hut, Dumbledore is in there comforting Hagrid, which is just very nice and good. Yeah. Telling him about all the parents who love Hagrid. Yeah, like, this reminds me of, what was it you were saying, Zoe, about, like, the difference between niceness and kindness? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, Dumbledore is very kind. sweet in this chapter, yeah. right? Like, he, he is being very emotionally good to Hagrid. He has not been, like, good to Hagrid in, like, pl- giving him things to do that are his strengths. Yeah. And giving him like supervision to make sure that he is like not being a liability to himself. Yeah. Right. Because Hagrid is not like, doesn't come off as conscious that like him (laughs) illegally breeding 
you know, blasted in skirts or whatever, is putting his whole thing in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. The same with the dragon from book one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't understand the consequences of what he does. Well, he's never been in this position of power before either. As a gameskeeper, he wouldn't have had this much scrutiny on him. But yeah. now he's a teacher. So. Yeah. I feel like as a gameskeeper, his actions still would have reflected on the school in some way. Yeah. But not as publicly, perhaps. Speaking of publicly, Draco Malfoy keeps a newspaper clipping in his pocket specifically to annoy Harry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does this boy just like cut them out in the dead of night and shove them in all of his robes just in case? <laughs> like, well, do you want to bet he gave that interview specifically with the end goal of annoying Harry? Oh, of course he did. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, he also hates Hagrid, not like like separate from Harry. Yeah. It's probably but, like added to by the fact that Harry likes Hagrid. It's in the same zone of like Harry likes this guy, Dumbledore likes this guy. Um cool. Yeah. Uh sports? Uh, <laughs> sports? uh big big bathtub? <laughs> big bathtub? Big bathtub question mark? Big communal bathtub? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good question. So do the do do the prefects just bathe together? Or do okay, they take now, turns? Hear me out. Do they use bathing suits? Crackpot theory. Yep. This bath was built during the Roman occupation of <laughs> the British Isles. Mm-hmm. As a Roman, Roman public bath. Uh-huh. And was uh, retrofitted into Hogwarts, and and just never examined. And they were like, "Yeah, kids can use this, right?" Yeah, as long as they're prefects, they're they're responsible. <laughs> this is good, fine for kids. I have so many questions about the prefects' bath. Starting with, <laughs> do they all just like tromp into a whole different area of the castle from where they live to take a bath? Yeah. Are there people yeah. just wandering the halls in a bathrobe, like going Is there back to one their room? Prefect per house? Two per year from year five to seven per house. So there's six per house. Okay, so that's that's more than I expected. Yeah. I was like, this is a special fancy bathroom for four kids to go take fancy. No, baths there's twenty four kids that can use this bathroom. Okay. I assume they also have access to like the regular Which are in the towers, I believe. Baths and showers and whatever. My theory is that you, like, book a time, and that's one of the reasons Harry's going in the middle of the night. Or that it's actually, like, 24 massive tubs. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone walks in the same door, but everyone ends up in a different room. (laughs) That's very funny. I hope the case. Yeah, the scene, uh, Zoe and I had the same note again about this. Uh, Myrtle is in this scene, and it's fine in the book. When we get to the movie, you'll see that it is really awful actually especially when you know the age of the actress versus dan Rad. yeah like she was 34 and he was 16 i think 15 he was 15 yeah they didn't that was very unnecessary the way they directed that scene um but anyway myrtle's there myrtle is there eyes on the prefects when they're having their baths Um, gross cool (laughs) <laughs> love to receive harassment from a ghost. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which Harry doesn't, but Cedric does. Uh-huh. Like, Myrtle is very clear. She closes her eyes. She was like, I closed my eyes when you got in. Yeah. But not when Cedric was there. Nope. She makes an explicit comment about how the bubbles were almost gone. Cool. Cool. Um, to be fair, when she died, she was the same age as Cedric. So I suppose that she is still a 17-year-old at heart. But gross. Creepy, Myrtle. Don't. Yeah. Oh, gross. Even 17-year-olds shouldn't be spying on spying each other. On each other. Yeah. Warriorism, bad. Get permission, get consent. Uh, anyway. Um, shout out to Harry. Harry's having fun. He is having fun. That's cute. Yeah, he has a good, he has a nice time. Fancy baths are good. Yeah. I would love to use that bath, to be honest. So would I. He's also a small boy, and so gets to do full-on laps. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's, He's hanging small. out in a big... Essentially a big hot tub. Yeah. Big hot tub. 
uh, would want to be there. I enjoy the description of the bubble baths. I would absolutely have a headache coming out of here. I do not yeah, like Yeah, I scents. would not be able to breathe. But, oh, 100%. Um... <laughs> I would not be able to do the scent. Love but, bubbles, but... Very fun. So Harry learns the, the clue. Yes. That there are mermaids, people. To be clear, Cedric was just about as helpful as he could be. He could have said... He could have said what the clue he got was. Or just put the egg in the water. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would have expected to be like a little bit more clear is just put the egg underwater. Harry would have gone and done it if Cedric had been like, hey, use this bathroom, take your time, put the egg underwater, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Also have a and nice Instead he was like, take a bath. Harry. Take a bath, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, man. I don't stink. Harry probably does stink. Many teenage boys stink. Yeah. <laughs> We don't need to go plot point by plot point, but we should probably read the poem. It's, I feel like it's not one of her strongest poems. No. I still think the the potion one in book one is the best one. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we can just, we can scooch along. Basically, uh, the implication is people are going to die. Yes. There's a strong implication. takes that literally because he's Harry. I think he has a reason to take this literally. He has been told multiple times by everyone involved that this tournament is deadly. Yeah. There is no reason for him to believe that this is fine and safe. <laughs> That's fair. Though at that at that point, he doesn't know that it's going to be people. At that point, it's just... Things. Something that's no, special. No, but it does you. say... The last line of the verse is, Too late, it's gone, it won't come back. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which, so once he finds out what's been taken, the assumption is that's when he gets worried. Yeah. yeah. Um, Why is Dobby the the <laughs> savior? There is actually a plot reason that you'll yes. find out at the end of the book. Yeah. Okay. Um, so after he leaves the bath, uh, he sees Bartimius Crouch in Snape's office on the map, which is mm-hmm. just a a note. Fun foreshadowing of. Something. For C-plot mystery times. And then meets uh, Filch and Moody and Snape all in their pajamas having a pajama party because he gets stuck in the staircase. There are so many things happening in this scene that we will be revisiting it. Yeah. The we scene is 100% be revisiting this scene at the end of the book. Um, e, the, the line that both Adela and I highlighted is Moody's uh-huh. line here. Oh, yeah. Which is, oh, if there's one thing I hate, it's a Death Eater who walked free. Marine that in the in the brain for forever. Don't we already specifically know that Snape was, or is that just implied? That, that was that would have been uh, outside of the book. Yeah, that's a that was a f- okay. I may have been. I think yeah. I'm confusing. I'm I'm confusing Karkaroff. what I what I know and the thing about Karkaroff. Yeah. So Harry's thinking about Karkaroff here. I will say when this book came out, Snape being a Death Eater was a fan. Oh, theory. I thought Harry was thinking. I. I thought Harry was thinking about Snape from that in that line specifically because Moody's talking about Snape and then says, "Oh, if there's a, there's one thing I hate, it's a Death Eater who walked free." And Harry's like, "Is he implying what I think he's implying, which is yeah. that Snape is a Death Eater?" When the book came out, what what Harry and Moody's conversation here it bolstered theories. Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't explicit before this e because Harry only learned about Death Eaters literally in this book. Yeah, fair. He didn't know what Death Eaters were before this book. I mean, he knew that there were people that worked with... He didn't know the name. Yeah. There's just a lot going on in this scene that we will have to come back to at the end of the book. Um, for so many reasons. Hi, Julia. Um, Moody is, uh, wants to borrow the map because he is investigating the Dark Wizards. I think that's nice. Mm-hmm. I hope he figures out how to use it. <laughs> well, I think it was already still on, but yeah. It was I, I on. Guess Harry just... didn't give him the instructions about how to turn it off. Uh, he sure didn't, and that's going to be a thing <laughs> to keep in mind. Um, also, Moody is the one who suggests that Harry could become a cop. That is Moody who does that. Which, considering the portrayal of what cops are, is sort of in line with Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only the only aura that we have met so far is Moody. And yeah. Harry likes Moody. He doesn't want to be like Moody, but he likes yeah, him. The portrayal is specifically somebody who seeks out evil. Evil, specifically. 
Yeah. Because Aurors are not, like, Aurors are not in charge of just, like, regular crime. They're in charge of, like, finding dark magic. Dark wizards. Yeah. So Dobby shows up after, like, Harry and... Before we talk about Dobby, can I talk about electricity? Oh, sure. Yeah, but wait, before you do that, uh, (laughs) the uh, British edition versus... I really want to know what the American edition is. Oh, it does say Aqualung? Yeah. What is... So both editions say Aqualung. I don't know what an Aqualung is, and I've never looked at it. Yeah. I I always assumed that it was the British word for, like, snorkels or something like that. So Aqualung is a brand name. Yeah. It's one of those, like, brand names that becomes generic. It was a piece of scuba gear developed in, like, France in the mid-1900s that just became generic for, like, scuba gear. It is not electric-powered, as far as I know. Right. Um, so electricity would not be a concern there specifically. The concern is that uh, muggles would see it flying across the landscape. However, do please talk about electricity. So this the the quote that Hermione is saying is not having to do with electricity at all, but this actually is one of the many things that spawned a fandom conversation about what and wouldn't work at Hogwarts. There's another thing I think in the next chapter or the chapter after that yeah. specifically would have sparked that too, where they're talking about electronics specifically. But Hermione points out that summoning an aqualung across the countryside would be a breach of the secrecy. Uh, yeah, because the summoning spell just makes it makes it fly it makes yeah it doesn't disappear and appear here it makes it fly (laughs) unfortunately not a transporter um so there is a lot of great fan theory about what would and wouldn't work at hogwarts and we've kind of talked about this here and there muggle-born setting up a wi-fi uh system that runs on magic and things like that Mm -hmm. there are tons and tons and tons of fan theories about this and one of the ones that's the most prevalent in fandom is that either you can get Wi-Fi to run on magic or this rule is absolute bullshit and magic has nothing to do with electricity. Yeah, what is the rule? Where does the rule come from? It's just that magic disrupts electricity and like it stops electric things from working. My theory is that wizards just don't don't want to learn about electricity so they don't bother to learn about electricity. I'm curious where that comes from in the books. It'll be in like the next couple of chapters oh, okay. where they're okay. specifically talking about something electronic and Hermione's like, it doesn't work. It won't work at Hogwarts. Yeah. yeah, It makes no sense. And I understand that this is like, this is actually another thing from fae and fairy literature that JKR could be pulling on, which is the idea of like mm. iron cancels magic mm-hmm. or yeah. vice versa. So certain things don't work around magic. But in the way that like lead cancels radiation, like that kind of. Yeah, exactly. It makes no sense given the existence of Muggleborns. So this is something that we keep coming back to, which is like when Muggleborns go to school, everyone assumes that like, oh, they're off at boarding school, whatever. This is the UK. That's not that unusual. Fine. But when they come home and then they never enter the workforce and then they go and marry, let's say, another Muggleborn who... There has to be a way for Muggleborn to exist within the magical world. And the fact that electronics don't work at Hogwarts and wouldn't work in a magical village, for instance, is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that uh, at least the series started, the books started being written before... The internet was as big of a thing as it became later. And so I don't know that she, and she, we know that she was not on the internet. So she would not have considered that to be an important thing in the world. Early 90s is the advent of email. And you're talking about like IRC chats. And that's, there's some message boards. That's it. Quite a few professional households would have had personal computers, but not like... Mm-hmm. The majority of like families. Yeah. Yeah. Like my dad was a computer scientist. He worked at DePaul on a PhD in computer science. So he had a new computer every year. Right. That's unusual. You know, I grew up in the early 2000s with computers in the house. But again, like my parents both had master's degrees. My dad worked in biotech. This is also set even earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, isn't this set well, in. It's set- 1994, this, 94, 95, this uh, book. I mean, Dudley has a PlayStation. Dudley has a PlayStation? When did the first PlayStation come out? 
I have to I have to know this. He does have a PlayStation in this book, right? That was in this book. Was that this book? That was so long ago. 1994. There you go. So like people who were particularly, you know, well to do or particularly nerdy would have had computers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like everyone would have had radio. Almost everyone would have had television. But JKR was like, well, you don't need television if you have. If you just stick your head in the fire. Or you stick your head in the fire. (laughs) Or you have (laughs) magical entertainment. I mean, she never, there's literally nothing about the arts in the Whispering World, really, other than music, occasionally. Um, Yeah. So. What do these kids do for fun? Who could say? Like, is there a theater club? I hope so. They look at Quidditch posters, I guess. Which is not arts. That's sports. So that's a thing that I've always. It's still entertainment. It's still something that would be on TV. Yeah. Like, just give me, give me all of the Gryffindor kids, like, sitting in their common room watching, uh, watching Quidditch matches. Like, why are they not doing that? They literally would be doing that. It's true. I do understand the wanting the, the school environment to be entirely fantasy. Like, I understand that impulse. And that's why you can't have electronics there. But also, I like the in- integration of... Yeah. It also would have been easy to do a to do a bullshit explanation. Yeah. Also, isn't there a, a school in the States that's described on Pottermore as being one where they have the only one where they have figured out how yes. to integrate technology and magic? I thought that was... Oh, was that... That might have been fan. That was headcanon. That was the fandom... Oh, that was oh, the fandom big list of schools? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Because that does That make... makes sense, yeah. It wouldn't fit with uh, <laughs> the ideas. Of the magic. I mean, I feel like she tried to have her cake and eat it too, right? Like she tried to set this in an entirely fantastical separate society and then also have people like Muggleborns coming into it regularly. Like you can't do that. Yeah. Nope. It doesn't work. You can't have this both ways. Anyway. Anyway, uh They're here. Dobby's here. Dobby has this How does Dobby acquire this? You will find out later. Yeah. Okay. Um, Harry doesn't sleep uh, again. He's trying to find a charm or something. Once again, he goes into a task with almost no sleep. The other competitors, two of them learn a charm, which is not explained. Yeah, I was thinking about that while Her- they were reading all the books. I was like, why is the bubblehead charm not in any yeah, of these why books? Didn't, why didn't they find that one? It's such a good question. Yeah. Because it seems like a pretty common charm, and there's a time in book five where people are using it just, like, constantly. And I'm like, if it's that easy to learn and that easy to find, why like couldn't they find it? a utilitarian charm. Anyway, can't find that because plot reasons. Plot reasons, exactly. <laughs> what's the... Uh, maybe this is explained later as well. What's the take on what exactly Gillyweed does? It is not explained later. <laughs> and it is never seen again. <laughs> All right, here's my take. It turns you physically into a merperson. Oh. With the magical capabilities thereof. I don't think so. Because he doesn't okay. have he doesn't have a tail. He has flippers on his feet. Alright, well partially. His feet then. turn into flippers. And he is using magic. I, well, her, uh, Zoe had a question about that too, right? Yeah, which is does Gillyweed fundamentally change your magic, so for instance, uses the spell Relatio, which is supposed to cause sparks instead of causes hot water. Does mm-hmm. it fundamentally change the magic because of Gillyweed, or is your magic fundamentally changed because you are in the water? I think it's just being underwater. That's my theory. See, I was thinking it was the Gillyweed. I interpreted this as Harry has been turned into someone with the magical capabilities of a creature huh. and not a human. I did not read it that way at all. <laughs> I think that he's just using magic underwater and because it sparks instead it's hot water. But doesn't the... He tries something else and it doesn't work, I feel like. He tries to talk. Yeah, other than that, all he tries to do is talk, but it wouldn't be a person because people can talk fine. Well, I guess they're not speaking English, they're speaking... I mean, they have their own language that's presumably suited to how their physiology works underwater. Well... It seems to be like English underwater. It doesn't really say anything about them doing magic, but... 
that Harry assumes it because they are scared of his wand. Oh, I just thought that that meant they don't have magic, so they're scared of his magic. Because they don't have magic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because they are creatures. Yeah, well, house elves and goblins both have magic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What gillyweed does is it gives you gills and webs your toes and hands. That must be... It, it is not explained, which is probably for the best, but that must be a horrific internal process. Uh-huh. You can't just put gills on the side and call that a day. Also, it seems to last exactly an hour. Yeah, which is odd. I mean, I guess it's not odd. There's a lot of magic that lasts only an hour, but it just also perfectly Convenient. lines up with the time of the- Also, how does Harry break the time limit so badly if, if the gillyweed is wearing off exactly as he reaches the surface? Maybe it lasts more than an hour. No, they specifically say that he was like really oh, late. Yeah. And he was like Cedric... 15 minutes outside of the time. Yeah, that's true. Plot holes. Plot holes. <laughs> There's so many plot holes with this task. But also the idea of people being kidnapped by faculty and put under Like, you hear this next time in the next chapter. I'm not spoiling okay. anything. Ron and Hermione tell Harry about the process of being told what's going to happen to them. But can you fucking imagine being in that conversation and being like, no, absolutely not. I don't want to do that. I'm a little bit relieved that they were told. They were told and explicitly they were told that no harm would come to them because Ron is making fun of Harry, Harry for thinking, yeah. That they were going to yeah. die. To be fair, what is it that the Mer people sing at him again? Your time's half gone, so tarry not. Let what you seek stays here to rot. Uh -huh. Yeah. So of course Harry would think that. There's nothing from anyone involved that would make Harry think it's going to be fine. Also, the fact that they had an eight-year-old child also down there. Yeah. Not the even like a student of Hogwarts. Yeah. Just... Did they? I mean, I guess they must have asked her, but... But did they ask a guardian, who, by the way, I think is Floor? Yeah, we're their parents. Also, why is there an eight-year-old coming with the Bobatin delegation? <laughs> and the answer is specifically for this task. Yeah, like, hey, uh, every Bobatin student, every one of your siblings, just, just in, in case, case. you know? It didn't even need to be... It could have just been, like, her best friend. Yeah, which is what it was for Harry. Like, it makes it would make sense. Yeah, but... it didn't even need to be her little kid sister yeah who is terrified and clearly doesn't speak english yeah. yeah what could that conversation have been like for her hopefully um madame maxime was at least there i assume so oh uh, uh, I, well, I don't know <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put these through this extremely traumatic process but it's gonna be fine in the end so like right so other problems with the the second task a Nobody can see underwater. Like, nobody can see what's happening. So how can they judge it? And also, why are there spectators? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just staring at the lake for an hour. Um, and then also, like, the point system for the whole tournament makes no sense. It's very bizarre. So the first task is um, marked out of 10 points. The second task is marked out of 50 points. The third task, this is not an important spoiler, is just no points, but just get the thing. I don't, I don't know. It's just bizarre. Points <laughs> to are made me. up. We know this. Yeah, the points from the first and second task. They get combined to help you, like, give you a, an advantage in the, in the third task. But, like, mm. which that's, I guess, fair. But it's definitely a wild choice. Everything about the second task has long been my least favorite task. Yeah. Side note. Going back to the way uh, J.K.R. writes women and puts women, female characters in her story, uh, Fleur loses every task, and that is, yeah. like, there's no reason for her to. She's a perfectly capable and smart person. Like, she just loses every task. She's at least as capable as Cedric. Yeah, I'm not sure why she scored so low in the first task, given that only her skirt caught on fire versus yeah. Cedric, who got a bodily wound. I would, um, hey, J.K.R., can you... <laughs> I have a list of things for you to fix, and this one is on it, but at the bottom. I know it's been 20 years. Can you do some revisions, please? Um, yeah. Also, I do appreciate that Grindylows were something that Lupin introduced. Yeah. yeah. 
and here they are in practice and Harry knows what to do. Like that was actually a really cool connection. So yeah, yeah. I like that too. Plot connection. I do appreciate that. Um, um, there's some great fan theories about Fleur in the future. One of the yeah. fix that I read recently, I, but I do really love is that she is a broom dancer. So Ooh. there's an idea of rather than riding a broom, you can stand on the broom yeah. and nice. do Sort of like how people perform on on horseback. Yeah, exactly. It's just a really yeah, cool, cool extension of the the grace that is mentioned of her character. Of yeah. Like, of course, she would be good at something like this. So let's give it to her. Nice. Do you think that Dumbledore, etc., were planning to have the Mer people be like the arbiters of the task beforehand, or only because of the way Harry approached it? Yeah, I'm sure they like they were planning the Triwizard Tournament for like a, at least six months in advance. Like it was talked about all summer, and everything was set up ahead of time. They didn't. Uh, they didn't need to include the Mer people more than just with the clue. Yeah, because they could have put the people on the lake bed anywhere, but they put it in the middle of the Mer people. Probably specifically to actually keep them safe. To keep them <laughs> safe, yeah. Because the people are not actually dangerous. Yeah, and also so that they could get, like, a perspective of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Do the people come up ever again? Yes. Well, okay. uh, sort not, of. As, not importantly, just as, like, they're here <laughs> a couple of times or once. This is sort of their moment to shine. And that's... That's those three chapters. That's Wait, about... before we go, I have a comment about Percy. Okay. Oh yeah, Percy's also here. Percy's also here, and fuck Percy, et cetera, et cetera, some other issues. I do appreciate that... <laughs> he doesn't have a context for that yet. Percy's I know. Just being... <laughs> Percy hasn't really been that bad yet, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but his point is... The description of him being really freaked out that Ron was on the lake bed makes me think he did not know that Ron was on the lake bed. And he is terrified that his baby brother, because yep. keep in mind, this is the baby brother, yeah. is like, looks, looks like he's been drowning. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout out that that was actually a really good Percy moment. Percy cares about his siblings. The movie version of this task I find to be significantly better than the book version of this task. I may be in the minority about this, but I think that the movie version of this task specifically is a highlight of the movie series. I they did a great job adapting it without doing it exactly. Yeah, I like I like the movie. I feel like the movie task is way too fast because like I feel like the thing with this task for Harry is specifically the like waiting and I mean obviously yeah. you can't put that in the movie, but like Yeah, I feel like you could do it. Also in the movie there the the Mer people don't talk, like at all, in the movie. So and Harry can, and Harry can talk. It's yeah, it's odd. Um, yeah, I have some issues with it, but I think that it does a better job. I think it actually does a better job just showing the task than the actual book mm, does fair. in a way that surprised me when I first saw the movie. Also, um, I think we've mentioned this before. Dobby and Winky are not in the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Huh. Wait, is the house elf subplot in the movie? Nope, 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 nope. Um, well, that's probably fine. I think the movie writers were like, hey, maybe we shouldn't include this. Yeah, yeah hey, this kind of is weird and sucks. But specifically, the gillyweed comes from another source. Yeah. Which will be talked about at the end of this book anyway. When we watch the movie, um, I think that you'll really enjoy that change. Um, it's a thing with several of the movies, actually, that uh, when Dobby is taken out from where he is in the books, he is replaced by one character who you will see yep. in the movie. So, um, To, I think, actually great effect. I am genuinely very curious to see this particular movie. I mean, I've already been told that I'm going to be underwhelmed by the first task. I think you'll be underwhelmed. I think you would have been underwhelmed if you were in the audience. Anyway. Yes, the last thing I wanted to mention is that Harry's very good at charms. He's like yeah, really good at charms. He's really he's good like at charms. He's accidentally good at banishing the summoning charm really fast, honest, um, honestly, like he does. And I think that that's just an important thing to keep in mind is that like he 
he is really good. He's really, really good at charms. Yeah, it's probably his best. I mean, it, it is in like test scores. It is one of his best classes. Like it's above Transfiguration and whatever other. I guess those are the only two like main magic classes. But mm-hmm. um, it's above that. The only thing above it is Defense Against the Dark Arts. Usually, I wonder how much of his proficiency in like charms and Transfiguration. I was gonna say, I wonder if it has anything to do with the quality of his wand. Because, like, we know that he has a super good wand. I think it's also his mom was really good at charms. Lily his was, mom was really Lily good at was, charms. Like, that was her best class. And potions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, Harry, the only reason why we don't know how good Harry is at potions is because the potions teacher is horrible. Um, and nobody can be good at potions in that atmosphere. He has not had the opportunity to be good at potions. Yeah. But he is very good at a very big, important branch of magic. Because a lot of, like, hexes and jinxes are charms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, something to keep in mind. We are in the runway of the the book here. We're we're sliding home. The next one is only two chapters. And so is the one after that. Oh, here's where we're going to get, we're going to start to get some more mystery. Our C plot is going to become some A plot in the next couple chapters. In a big, big in a way. big way. I'm loving these chapter titles. I'm just looking <laughs> ahead and I'm, 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 I'm looking at these chapter titles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you would like to read along with us, the next two chapters that we are reading are Padfoot Returns and The Madness of Mr. Crouch. Uh, so chapters 27 and 28. Very ominous. I want to name Very that episode ominous. The Sea Plot Thickens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are going to pre-name that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us and reading along with us. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find the show at Potternot on both Twitter and Tumblr. I have been Zoe. You can find me at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z, and buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. I have been E. You can find me on Twitter at C-E-L-1-0-E. I have been Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore, and you can back my Kickstarter at kickstarter.com slash projects slash Adela slash wisp dash RPG. It's still uh, going to be up until April 10th, and it is fully almost a thousand percent funded. But if you want to get the game, you can Go do get that. Game. Yeah. <laughs> and again, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, you can get more music from our fantastic comp- composer, Morgan Jackson, at we did the time warp again dot bandcamp dot com. Um, we hope to hear from you as we are. Uh, Coming to the end of this book, start sending in final book questions to us. If they are spoilers, please send it to our our Tumblr. If not, you can just add us on Twitter. Craig has returned. I haven't heard that sweet, sweet voice in so long. Wow. Those dulcet tones. I've been waiting to hear that we've been recording for weeks. Um, okay. Teenage boys, but also teenagers in general. Teenagers in general. Smelly beings. I was also a being when I... Oh, fuck. I was also when I was a teen. Goodness. So we want so badly to say she was a smelly teen. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Craig stayed the whole time. This is the first time that's happened in months and months and months. Craig is coming out of, it must have been winter hibernation. Yeah. Yeah. I watched a TikTok where it turns out if you have a tortoise, you just put it in the fridge for two months. What? To hibernate. What? Yeah. What? This is like a recommended thing from from exotic vets. 
If you have a small I mean, I tortoise understand. and they hibernate. I understand, but also it feels. Yeah, I wouldn't want it to be in the same fridge as my food. That's just seems insensitive. <laughs> and side note, there has been another, there's been a conversation on another server that I'm in uh, that Craig and Gyark might not be bears. They might be a different animal, which I don't remember what it was. Maybe otters or something? Maybe Tanuki, yeah. Yeah, he could be uh, Everyone was like, well, that's going to break our entire there. server because we always say bring in the bears. Yeah, no, they're bears. There's some implications if uh, if they're otters versus bears, for those of you in the queer community who might know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, let's let them go, though. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, bears.